Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Out of the Blue. It is Sunday the 17th of February. Oh, almost forgot what month it was there. Um, You are listening to 3CR 855 AM. You could also be listening online, digital radio, podcasting. There are so many ways to listen to us. It is crazy. Now, today's a beautiful day. It's going to be 27 degrees, so make sure you get outside and enjoy the sun at some point. And we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that 3CR is 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We've got a great show for you coming up. We're going to talk all about Little Penguins, but first off, a quick subscriber announcement. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, yes, you know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. So welcome to Out of the Blue. My name is Heather and I've been joined by... Aaron. Aaron. Sorry, I didn't give Aaron the cue that he was meant to say. So <laughs> that Hello. Awkward. Um, and today we've also been joined by a penguin expert. <laughs> I don't know about expert. Well, you know a little bit. Would you like to introduce <laughs> yourself, Lauren? Because otherwise I'm going to butcher your surname. Okay. My surname's Tokowski, so it's Lauren Tokowski. <laughs> and you're joining us from La Trobe University today. I am. And you've been working with little penguins. I have for my PhD project. Which so, just sounds like a dream project. You're probably already making a lot of people jealous. A lot of people at home are already probably sitting up going, ooh, that sounds great. Yeah, look, they're, they're pretty great animals to work with. And um, I'm lucky enough to be down at Phillip Island, which is a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. So I guess before we get into your project, how did you come to do a PhD on penguins? Uh so it was a bit of a twisty, windy path for that one. Um, I actually went back to uni as a mature age student. So I worked in hospitality for 10 years first before deciding that I um, definitely was not passionate about pursuing that. Um, so I, Really? I, yeah. You've given up a, a golden career in hospitality. I mean, that is just the peak of, I don't know, something. Something. <laughs> 
Um, no, look, it was it was great while it lasted, but um, I really wanted to do something outdoors. So I, I went back to uni and did a Bachelor of Biosciences and then had no idea what I wanted to do coming out of that and did a fire ecology project with reptiles um, out in the Mallee, which was pretty amazing. Uh, and then met a really amazing uh, penguin researcher, uh, Dr. Ursula Allenberg at La Trobe, and she completely sold me on this project. You've and gone from reptiles to penguins. Yep, and semi-arid to marine, the coastal marine. So, yeah. Well, look, you've adapted and overcome and you can just do whatever you want now. <laughs> look, I think, I'm, I think I'm stuck on this track now. I think I'm definitely a penguin you researcher. You will become the crazy happened. penguin lady. Yeah, no I cats. Think, just... I think that's happened. So uh, it's happened. Many, <laughs> on that note, how many penguins do you have at home? I mean, you, you've to make that full. Shh, we shouldn't be talking. Yeah, oh, all right, right, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, off radio. Here. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, not to mention. <laughs> so I guess tell us a little bit about how you came to work with penguins, given you were working with reptiles. Uh, look, I am more question oriented than thinking about a specific taxa, and I'm really into. Um, projects that have something to do with anthropogenic disturbance, and I'm really interested in uh, sort of developing non-invasive methods to measure physiology of animals in the field, so rather than in the lab. So when this project, when I was approached about this project, it had all of those things. It was about, you know, climate change and um, developing this new method and, of course, penguins and nice and close to Melbourne, really pretty field site, so I was pretty, yeah, sold. Gives you an opportunity to travel to Phillip Island and probably work in some amazing places. Yeah, and with some amazing people as well. Brilliant. So they do really good work down there. So and it's always nice to be able to drive your car right to your field site and step out and go to the field site rather than having to hike in. I know a fair few people who have to pull up and then just hike. Just keep going. Look, I, I pretty much take a lab into the field with me when I go, so it's very, very convenient. Brilliant. So yeah. Okay. So I guess all projects have an overarching question what is your overarching question i'm sure it's changed so many times it, it has i but I, I guess the the general theme we're just trying to work out um from a, a management perspective what the the impacts of climate change are going to be on little penguins sort of down the track so what's happening with them now and then sort of having to think about um what we need to do in the future to kind of keep them keep them going strong at phillip island so just checking you're of the belief that climate change is real uh, yes. Good to know. It's yes. always nice to know where I guess sit on the climate change yeah, topic. I think that's important. So we can yeah. boot them. <laughs> no, no, no. They can stay. She can come back and talk more. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe climate change is real. People. If you don't believe in climate change, because yeah, yeah. I, I think there's enough evidence. Melbourne's had some pretty crazy weather in the last few. <laughs> that's weeks. That's right. So, Look, yeah. Within within the scientific community, I don't think there's really any any question whether climate change is real. It's just to the varying degree that's going to impact us. Yes, uh, and, and the then, fact that some and governments then, won't listen to well, the that's fact right. that climate change is Then real. we introduce politics and then it all gets muddy. Yeah. But a, a common argument you seem to hear from people, though, is that, you know, climate change has always happened. But I think people, like, it, no one is disagreeing with that. It has. It's actually the speed at which it's happening that's that right. is most concerning. Um, and so the fact that, that it's that going clear. in more of one direction rather than, <laughs> fluctuating, than fluctuating back and forth. Yes. yes. Mildly yeah. concerning. Okay, so how are you going about finding out where the penguins are going to be affected by climate change? Um, so I guess the first step is looking at, so I don't know how much you guys know about Phillip Island, but um, it used to be, there used to be a housing estate there um, about 20 years ago and there are about 120 houses on the peninsula where uh, most of the birds are breeding now. So if you've been to the penguin parade there, 
Um, and in a world first, the government did a massive buyback scheme and bought back all of those houses. And it took a long time to get everybody out, but they've basically given it back to the penguins now, which is pretty amazing. Um, so one of the things that they did to try and get numbers up because all of the soil had been compacted from the housing is they've introduced these timber nest boxes and it's been amazing for breeding success. The birds love them uh, for obvious reasons. They just don't have to worry about predators as much and they don't actually have to maintain the burrows themselves. So they've been really great. But my first job was to kind of look at the natural burrow types and the artificial boxes and try and work out what sort of microclimates these birds are actually being exposed to. Uh, so that's kind of the first step. And then I wanted to actually have a way to sort of quantify um, the energetic costs of birds thermoregulating in those nest types. So we've developed a, a fancy new method for doing that in the field, which is pretty cool. So for those listening in, the energetic costs break that down all right so basically all right so what what we're actually measuring is metabolic rate and um it has actually become clear to me recently that not many people know what that is but to put it simply everything you do has an energetic cost every activity that you do um requires energy so looking at metabolic rate just allows us to kind of work out the energy budget for a particular activity in a particular situation. And it's obviously very important because if you use up all of your energy on one task and you don't leave enough for another, then you're in trouble. So for example, if you, um, you might end up uh, impacting your breeding success by spending too much time trying to keep yourself cool. That's fascinating. So you were really looking at if there was different metabolic uh, demands mm -hmm. in the wooden nest boxes, the artificial nest yep. boxes that they seem to love uh, versus just underground, yep. which is where they live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it may just come down to us finding that birds behave quite differently in these. And I'm sure that there are other uh, sort of trade-offs as well for being in the different, different nest types. So yeah, first things first, you're just... Yeah, get all of the microclimates, and we've just we've just done that um, at Phillip Island initially. But this year we've actually broadened that, and we've got uh, little data loggers that are measuring temperature and humidity, and they're out in colonies across Australia and New Zealand. Wow. Oh wow! So how many colonies are you looking at then? Because uh, I guess have... a lot of people think of the penguins at Phillip Island or the penguins at St Kilda. That's yeah. pretty much what people think of. Yeah, absolutely. There are penguins in a lot of places. I guess that people haven't um, travelled to, but. Uh, the colonies that I've looked at, so I've got Bruni Island in Tasmania. Um, oh, I've got spot. Granite Island in South Australia, Penguin Island in WA. Penguin um, Island? Penguin Island. Okay, all right. It has penguins. Yes. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, we've got Big Island in uh, New South Wales, and then I've got uh, two colonies in uh, New Zealand, so one up near Auckland, mm -hmm. uh, which is Tarafanui, uh, and then I've got one down the South Island on the Otago Peninsula. Fantastic. So you're collaborating with a lot of people right now then? Yep, definitely. <laughs> I like to make my life uh, interesting. Interesting is one word. But no, like in, everybody's been really great as part of this collaboration. And I, I guess the, the, the main thing that's come out of doing this research is I've realised that uh, Phillip Island have such incredible management. There are so many people involved, both uh, paid staff and volunteers that do a really good job of, of, of keeping the penguins um, really ha happy and healthy there. Uh, but I really wanted to look at some of these other smaller colonies because some of them are just really holding on. There's not a lot of funding that goes to them. And there are people that are just tirelessly working, giving their time. And I'm talking years and years and years of no pay monitoring these penguin populations. So I guess, um, 
to make any conclusions about what's going on just at Phillip Island, I feel is very sort of short-sighted. We need to sort of shine a bit of a light on these other colonies and give them a bit of attention as well. The Scopia project is is fantastic, really. (laughs) That's that's brilliant that you can actually have that foresight. So, So what are you hoping to achieve by looking at all these populations? Obviously, from a management point of view, it'd be great to know how the penguins are going, but what are you hoping to achieve from this? Honestly, I think, uh, look, my background in hospitality means I really like uh, working, working with, <laughs> with different sorts back. of people. It, it really does, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I think uh, this collaboration to me, it's more about looking at, if we're going to look at species conservation, I don't think we should be looking at just one colony. And I think um, my hope is to kind of bring everybody together a little bit. Not that not that people are completely divided, but I think we need to be thinking about projects um across across the ranges like not just be looking at one colony and that's I think a bit of a, a trap you often have these different colonies and a particular academic that might have students in each of those colonies but I think we need to start having conversations about how we can sort of create some mega projects and and yeah do better at protecting the species everywhere not just in our colonies. So everyone might be looking at each colony but looking at things slightly differently or using slightly different methods and therefore it's a bit harder to translate all the data together? Exactly. So, I mean, some, you know, I've found some of the conversations that I've had, there will be comparable data between mine and other colonies, but it would be nice even if just, for example, for the microclimate aspect, we'd use the same methods from the start because it's still going to be novel for each colony. So people are still going to be able to publish their research on that. Um, But yeah, it means that we can just compare that data at the end and have nicer results. So, well, it makes more sense collaboration. I mean, there needs to be a lot more of that just in the world in general. Yes, <laughs> I mean, in hospitality, everybody you know collaborates and polishes the cutlery together. Like, <laughs> do that more. It's no like, one likes absolutely. it, but they still do it. You still have to do <laughs> you it. You still have to do it. So, at what stage of the project are you at, at? At this stage, like, how far in do you think? How many more years do you think if you got? Look, I'm hoping the the method that we've um, developed has taken me three years to get going. Um, and finally, we are getting the same results as you would get in a lab. So essentially, those timber nest boxes I spoke to you guys about before, um, we've built sort of metabolic chamber nest boxes. All that means is they've got a plastic insert inside them. And when the birds move into them during the year, we can come and plug into the back of it. We pull air through it and we measure um, oxygen consumption and CO2 production. Uh, and that's how we calculate our metabolic values. Um that's been really fiddly <laughs> to get going. We have all of this tech that we have to take out, as I said, and um, there are lots of things that can happen in the field that can that can muck up your results. So we're finally, after three years, we've had a couple of manufacturers' faults with the equipment, which has been interesting, um, but we're finally there and we're actually getting uh, results that are comparable to really controlled lab studies, which is super exciting uh, for us. So now that we've got that going, I'm hoping this will be my final field season. Uh, And then I've just got the fun task of uh, writing it all up and analysing all of the results. That's the fun bit. All the data. Lovely. Do you want to do some data entry for me? Uh, No. (laughs) Sorry. I'm a little busy at the moment. Yes, just doing nothing. (laughs) Anything but that. But that's fantastic. So you can actually uh, analyse the metabolic rate of these penguins without interfering with them. They don't even know you're there. They don't even know we're there. Brilliant. That's really neat. So... Uh, I guess I would feel like it's taken us so long to get it done. I can understand why no one had attempted to do this okay. before, but I so think you persevered. 
persevered and I think it's it's definitely definitely worth it so I'm not um, negating the results of of lab studies I think we wouldn't have been able to develop this without that I think it provides really important baselines and tells us a lot about uh, the physiology of these animals but if we can find a way to do it in the field where you're not having to disturb them well then it's 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 a a win-win absolutely and the fact that I'm getting the same results as the lab experiments I know that um a lot of uh, ecologists sometimes think that you can't measure environmental factors accurately on an animal in a lab situation. Um, but our results are kind of suggesting that, yeah, the previous studies are getting both the same same results. So mm. I think it's a win-win for everyone. Really. Fantastic. The birds are happy and healthy that way. Yes. No stress. No stress. Which is great. It means you can w- work in pretty, probably a very nice environment, just wandering around, just seeing all these little penguins. I spend a lot of time lurking in the bushes <laughs> at uh, <laughs> Phillip Island. Right, Heather. you heard it here first. She lurks in bushes. Yeah, you should have warned me before today. We've got someone who lurks in the shadows. Um, <laughs> well, you have to, don't you? If you don't want to disturb the animals, exactly. you really just got to hide. Part, part of the job. But uh, yeah. <laughs> So on, on your resume, you're re- really right. Um, I'm very good at lurking in bushes. Oh, I'm excellent at lurking yeah. in bushes. Okay. You would not even know us. Needs to be, needs to be an Olympic sport. <laughs> not sure how I feel about this interview. Okay, anymore, so okay. apart from working in bushes, can you share any, I don't know, stories about what's happened in the field? Because everyone thinks, you know, the field's this beautiful, lovely place and you just, you go and you pick up a penguin and you cuddle it and it's oh, great. And- no, all right, see... I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about little penguins because I love them, but I think the common misconception is, oh, you know, you're so lucky, they're so cute, they're so sweet. They're mean little birds. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, um, insight here. <laughs> lurks in bushes and hates birds. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Okay. Um, no. I, I'm, I'm glad. They're feisty, feisty little animals, um, but people that think that they can touch them and they're going to be happy to be held, um, just, just be warned. They um, they will bite. They like to flip a slap you and they will hold the skin on your hands while they flip a belt you. Flip a oh. slap you. Yeah, they flip a slap you. And they've only got little flippers, so you wouldn't really think that they're that powerful, but remember... Remember that these guys, how these guys move through right, the water, and right. um, they're very, they're very strong. So, yeah. And then at last, last uh, defense will be that they will just poop all over you. So that's not, not oh, as an uh. yeah, projectile poop. So, so the the glamour in the field of working with little penguins. Yeah. Also involves getting covered in poo. Yeah, yeah, getting getting covered in poop and having bruised, scratched up hands. But you know, as I said, I'm happy that they're feisty because maybe it means that people will. Let them be. Let them be. Yeah. Wild, okay. wild okay. selves. So what are they up to at the moment, the little penguins? When were uh, you out there they, last? What are they doing? Have you named any of them? Yes. No, Do you I have a favourite? I don't oh. name them unless they're really mean. Oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> um, like you do get some of them that are really sort of chilled out as well. So some of them are little angels. So they've got personalities. Yeah, they've definitely yeah. got personalities. But we've got one called uh, Bruce. Um, oh, Bruce is a favourite name for animals in the marine <laughs> environment. Well, he's, Bruce, he's Bruce Lee. Oh, okay. Oh, he's he's flipper, flipper chopped flip, you. Flipper chops me. Right. Um, but he, he knows when you're coming and he sits in the doorway <laughs> of his burrow and if I try and stick my hand in, he doesn't back up like some of the others will. He runs out like Hungry Hippo <laughs> style, grabs my glove and slaps me and then runs back in. That is fantastic. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. I want to go yeah. meet Bruce. Yeah. He, is, he is the only one that has ever done that. So obviously I was quite 
quite shocked when that happens. So he's, he, he's got a name. Has he's he had offspring and has he taught it to Ooh, the offspring? I don't yes. know and I should Ooh, check that out this year. But yeah. I will say that something is going very right for Bruce because he was a two-kilogram penguin, uh, which they're usually Ooh. about uh, 1,200 grams. So 1.2 kilos is the average and he was two kilos. He was a big boy. So Bruce is wow. a bit of a fatty. He is a, he is a bit of a fatty. Maybe he's just, for you. Yeah, that's maybe right. he's just solid. He's solid. big boned. Yeah. Okay, big yeah. boned. Yeah. Okay, okay. So what else have they gotten up to? So they like to bite, they like to slap. Yeah, look, you know... I mean, you're obviously out there rain, hail and shine. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, you work out pretty quickly whether you want to uh, be out in the field working. But look, I love it out there, rain, hail or shine. It's a really really beautiful place. But the birds are always um, up to something different. So at the moment, they're just sort of uh, winding up the last of their breeding season and they're all off at sea at the moment getting nice and fat i hope for molt so that's happening happening pretty soon we've got peak molt on the 10th of march wow okay so what's molt involved for them then uh so basically what they're doing is changing over all of their feathers so penguins do this thing called a catastrophic molt which means that they lose all of their feathers at once Uh, so for little penguins it takes about 17 days for them to do that so they're um, constrained to land during that time so they just have to be in their burrows in the hottest part of the year so for me that's a really interesting time to be looking at impacts of climate change because it's probably when these birds are the most stressed and uh, cause my project is kind of looking at energetic costs you've got these birds fasting for 17 days trying to keep themselves cool in hot burrows so that's yeah probably the most critical time so I'll be interested to see what happens this season now that we have our equipment working maybe I can come back and tell you guys Oh, yeah, you'll definitely have yeah, to come back. Brilliant. Update us on the little penguins. So they won't eat for a full 17 days 17 as they replace days. every feather. That's yep. amazing. Yep. So I can't remember the exact uh, percentage, but I believe they put on, so prior to molt, they put on about an additional 40, I think it's about 40% of their body weight. Okay. Um, and then by sort of mid-molt, they're back down to sort of average weight. So you just want to you want to make sure that birds are going into this as fat and happy as possible. Um, so that they can actually get through that time. So a fat penguin is a happy penguin? Yeah, so yes. it's it's really, really dangerous going into molt if you're underweight. So unfortunately, if you have a bird that's um, not as good a maybe competitor or it might be a bit inexperienced with its foraging um, and they come in underweight, that's when we see birds really get into trouble during molt. And in fact, that's why this whole study was kind of developed. That's when we noticed the most adult mortality at, at Phillip Island is from molting birds. Wow. So it's a, it's a really risky period for the birds. It is a very risky period mm. for them. Now, when they're going out and bulking up and, you know, putting on lots of weight, there's obviously a problem with marine pollution. Um, mm. And there was a massive cleanup down at Phillip Island, I think, at the start of December last year. And a lot of people got out there and did the best they could because people like to be involved in citizen science. Are you noticing any impact of marine pollution on the, the birds at all? Look, I, I mean, it's not it's not an element of what I'm looking at. I know that Phillip Island are certainly um, concerned about that. And there's, you know, really, really great work for everybody that got involved in that cleanup. It was pretty massive. Um, I think there's some good pictures online of the, the scale of the, the rubbish that they brought in, even in that period of time. Um, but I think that there will be some interesting projects coming up on that, not just for penguins, but also for the sheer waters and various other seabirds, marine birds that are down there. Yeah. yeah we've actually previously spoken about the, some of the impacts, particularly of the sheer waters of Lord Howe Island. Uh, obviously, plastic is such a, a hurdle for a lot of these birds and is really impacting them. So I'd be really fascinated to, to hear those results and if our little penguins, or particularly the Port Phillip Island colony, is being impacted. 
Yeah, absolutely. That could be a, a really big challenge for them. I would say definitely um, watch this space because I've, I've, I've spoken to a few people about them looking at sort of gut contents and things mm. like that. So, yeah. Well, okay. speaking of cleanups, it's only a couple of weeks away until Cleanup Australia <laughs> Day. So if you haven't sorted out what you're going to be doing on that day, it's usually on the first Sunday of March. And we recommend there are so many cleanup groups out there, lots of beach cleanups. Um, find yourself a group on Facebook and head out there and just pick up some rubbish. No brainer, guys. Do yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, there's so many organisations out there banding together to try and just reduce our, our plastic that's ending up in the ocean. And obviously, the major problem is education. You've got to teach people about plastic in the first place so it doesn't end up in the ocean. But, I mean, everyone can be a citizen scientist. Everyone can get out there and just do their little part and pick up plastic, even though it wasn't dropped by you. Um, it all makes an impact, especially on, on the animals that are relying on those beaches, like those penguins. Absolutely. Imagine if a beach is covered in plastic and these guys have got to waddle up there. Absolutely. And I think a good, good place to start is thinking about your plastic use at home. I know I did a bit of an experiment recently, sort of looking at how much plastic I used and keeping it all till the end of the week instead of just, you know, throwing mm. it in a recycling just to see. bin. And I was pretty disgusted with the amount of plastic I use, which I feel terrible because I'm actually working with <laughs> penguins. So I encourage everyone to do that because I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a shock. It's a good yeah. visual. And everyone really can make is. that conscious change, even if it's yeah. only one thing at a time. I think that's a fantastic suggestion. I, I certainly have done um, something very similar with um, in July, Plastic Free July, just recognising the amount of plastic that we use every day, which I wasn't even aware of because Absolutely. plastic is everywhere. I mean, it's just part of our life, but I was just astounded by how much plastic I was accumulating. So fantastic suggestion. And I guess from a climate change point of view, there are things people can do as well to help the little penguins. You know, things like turning off lights when you're not there. I know there's been some really hot days in summer, but thinking about what temperature you're putting the air conditioning at, it doesn't need to be super low, like 18 degrees. Absolutely. Um, because you'll get in there and you'll be like, oh, this is so lovely. But in winter, <laughs> we'd be like, wow, that's freezing cold. Like yeah. 22, 23, good temperature yeah. all year round. Yeah. So even little things like that. Absolutely. And what is your hope for the penguins? Uh, look, I, I just hope that they keep on keep on kicking along and being happy and healthy, really, uh, you know, and, and they're in a pretty good position. It's really nice working with a species that's not in, in dire straits, but I think it's important that we just keep on um, monitoring them. They're really great bioindicators. You know, they spend half of their life on land and half of their life in the water. So uh, really important to just kind of keep on seeing how we're going. But I hope that we've got them around to enjoy for, yeah. Yeah, and hopefully, forever look, and, ever. For, forever and ever. hopefully, <laughs> yeah. their captive brothers and sisters in zoos and aquariums can also help people learn a bit more about them because it, it can be hard to go and see them in the wild. Phillip Island isn't that close to the city, and it's a cost, and you have to sit there and wait. And kids aren't always patient, <laughs> and it can be or really quiet. cold, and it can be really cold. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure you do you've go to Phillip Island. It. Please take lots of clothing. <laughs> if you go there in the cooler months, you will enjoy it so much more. But if people can, you know, have an experience in a zoo or an aquarium and just go, oh my god, that look at that little thing. Yeah. It's so cute. Look at it go. I swear it's looking at me. It's always looking Look, at me. It's, it's amazing. Actually, I'll give one tip for people that do go to the penguin parade. I notice so many people come, they sit, wait for the first birds to come up the beach and then they take off immediately. 
here's my my hot tip for you. Go and stand on the boardwalks after you've watched a few birds come up and actually watch how these guys behave. So particularly if you go there during sort of breeding season when these guys have got chicks, they are hilarious to watch. Um, so that's my favorite part of it. I see so many people turn up, they wait a bit, get impatient, and then they just take off and they don't really enjoy it. So. All right, so you heard it here. Hot tip from Lauren to finish off, lurk on boardwalks. Lurk on boardwalks. <laughs> Hiding in bushes, yeah. lurking yeah, on boardwalks. Hmm. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. I've learned so much about the little penguins, and we will definitely have to have you back on so for we can sure. hear about your findings in the future. <laughs> awesome. So you've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR 855 AM. You can also listen to us online, digital radio and podcast. Online, you can find us at 3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue. And also check out our Facebook page. Just search for Out of the Blue Radio and you can tell us exactly what you want to hear about on the show. So like I said, it's the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. Enjoy your Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.